The world is in a state of shock from the dizzying news of an escalating conflict between Israel and Hamas. Hundreds of Israelis and Palestinians have been killed. This news is acutely felt in the United States. And here in Michigan, where we have sizable populations of both Arab and Jewish Americans. Today, the Israel-Hamas war and reactions on the ground here in Michigan. This is Stateside. I'm April Baer. We'll be hearing about community and political responses in just a moment. But before that, we wanted to talk through what's going on. Javed Ali is an associate professor of practice at the Ford School of Public Policy and a former senior U.S. government counterterrorism official. Thanks for being here, Javed. Thank you, April, for having me. You have called the Hamas attack that started this current conflict unprecedented. I wonder, could you say more about that, given the decades of incursions that folks will remember in the past? So Hamas has been a thorn uh, on the side of Israel for literally decades now, um, since the late 1980s into the 1990s. But what transpired over the weekend uh, is unprecedented from the, the scope, the complexity, the sophistication of the attack, because this wasn't a single attack, which is usually how Hamas has operated in the past. Because, I mean, this was the kitchen sink. This was thousands of rockets. This was hundreds, if not uh, more, fighters breaching different um, border security checkpoints and then uh, forming into commando assault teams and attacking different targets. And it was clear they knew where they were going, what their objectives were, uh, kidnapping um, dozens, if not more, Israeli civilians and even um, soldiers uh, from the Israeli Defense Force, reports of some of these assault teams coming in on paragliders. So this was a level of sophistication no one had ever seen from Hamas. And it probably took them months and months of planning to execute this operation. This part of the world is not only a place that a lot of Michiganders may have, you know, family or or ties of, of friendship with, but it's also been a proxy site for a lot of different world powers. Is there any reason to believe, any concrete evidence to believe that Hamas had support from outside governments? So my supposition, even early in Saturday morning, when the world was waking up to the horrors of what was happening, is that going back to one of my earlier points, the scope and the sophistication and the complexity of this attack is that Hamas, because they had never tried to do something like this or successfully done something like this, and based on their ongoing relationship with Iran, which stretches back decades as well, that my analytic judgment was that the Iranians played a significant role. Now, the degree of that role, we're not sure, but because in the past they have provided Hamas weapons, training, money, facilitation, support, logistics, you name it, that is why I think Hamas was able to pull off something at this level. I don't believe that they did it entirely on their own. And there is now media reporting from the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post last night suggesting that Iran indeed play the role that I described. So I, I still am sticking with that analytic judgment that the Iranians um, had a strong hand, but I don't think that they actually had fighters on the ground, but clearly getting to the point of of helping Hamas orchestrate this attack and then standing back and, and watching it unfold. Some correspondents who cover U.S. foreign policy in the Middle East expressed 
confusion over the attacks, uh, that they stood out unusual for what we what we know of, of behaviors by Hamas. Can you shed some light on the source of that confusion? What is it that makes this attack confounding? Well, the the previous Hamas attacks, even though they have been lethal and deadly, for the most part have been somewhat restrained. And I don't I don't mean that in a positive way. But again, we haven't seen Hamas kind of scale up to this level of a complex, multi-pronged um, sequenced uh, operations. So in the past, uh, Hamas would use suicide bombers or improvised explosive devices or would launch rockets, but never, never at the scale, never with that many people all sort of moving in one direction at one time. And then some of the other aspects of what apparently is happening, and these are horrific details that are emerging, you know, the kidnappings, the executions, the videos that have been posted, these actually remind me of ISIS style taxes. This is what we saw ISIS do in Iraq and Syria in the mid 2000s. And now we see Hamas taking a page out of the ISIS playbook and using some of those same tactics and techniques. And is this a shift in their own philosophy? Is this based on encouragement from Iran? I mean, there's lots of ways to to look at that. Um, But they also had to contemplate the risks of doing that. And Israel, as we all know now, has responded very forcefully, and they haven't even started the ground phase, and things are only going to get worse in Gaza once that begins. Much has been said over the past 72 hours about the huge lapse of intelligence, the failure this represents in Israel's vaunted uh, intelligence structure. But I think less has been said about the fact that the U.S. was caught flat-footed. What's on your mind about that? Well, based on some of the points I've made already about the the scope, the complexity, the size, the, the sophistication of the Hamas attack, that it had so many moving pieces to it that one would have thought, given the advanced nature of Israeli intelligence, both within Israel and then their ability to look around in the region from multiple what we would call collection disciplines, um, human intelligence, signals intelligence, electronic intelligence, imagery intelligence, probably open source information. And that's how that's the U.S. approach in trying to understand what is happening uh, in a different part of the world or against an adversary, how they missed, you know, this particular operation, that's just confounding to a lot of folks like myself who are now outside of government. I wouldn't have expected the U.S. to be ahead of Israel on this because that part of the world is really Israel's backyard. And I think the U.S. has kind of ceded the intelligence uh, role to, to Israel on that. And we have other high priority intelligence missions now and and priorities with Russia, Ukraine and China, Taiwan. So uh, I don't think it's a question of the U.S. taking its eye off the ball. I think it's a question of the U.S. redirecting a lot of its resources and capabilities to focus on other national security priorities and trusting Israel, again, with this excellent reputation and all these capabilities to keep an eye on their own backyard. And sadly, I think that something happened in between that where this attack remained undetected for a long period of time. We're hearing reports of tension at the border with Lebanon. Are there ways that either the Israeli government or the U.S. could possibly cool that situation down? Well, the the risk of escalation in the region is very, very high because it wouldn't take much for things to spiral even further out of control um, outside of Gaza. So if the Hezbollah Israel relationship continues to be tense, but now they start 
a military conflict in a way that uh, resembles something like 2006, that could be very dangerous. Uh, another thing that could really um, escalate tensions, going back to earlier points we've discussed, is will Israel hold Iran responsible for this attack as well? And if so, does that mean military operations against Iranian interests in Syria or other parts of the region or directly in Iran? And if that happens, what is the Iranian response? So, I mean, this this conflict, which is so terrible on the ground right now, has potential to get far, far worse in a very short amount of time. Hopefully that doesn't happen. But having lived in the world of always planning for the worst case scenario, it wouldn't take much to get to the worst case scenario based on things unfolding as we speak. We need to take a break. We'll hear about more Michigan reaction to this conflict in just a moment. Support for the Stateside Podcast comes from Kalamazoo College, offering a personalized education that combines critical thinking, curiosity, and creativity. Committed to preparing students for meaningful careers that make a positive impact on the world. More at kzoo.edu. Support for Michigan Public's Stateside Podcast comes from Lake Trust Credit Union, working to empower financial well-being for Michigan consumers, businesses, and communities. Committed to financial solutions and advice to support people and families. More information at laketrust.org. As we mentioned at the top of the pod, Michigan is home to significant populations of Arab and Jewish Americans who fall along various political lines in their thinking. Neeraj Waraiku covers religious communities in southeast Michigan for the Detroit Free Press. He's here to help us get a sense of what people are thinking in Michigan right now. Neeraj, thanks for being here. Good to be here, April. Thanks for having me on your show. I know you were seeking out folks who might have family in places that were affected by both the surprise attacks in Israel and the answering attacks in Gaza. Can you share a little bit of what folks had to say about their their concerns and their fears for their families? Sure. Yesterday, I spoke with a woman in Oakland County uh, who used to live in Israel, but now lives in Bloomfield Hills, uh, but still has family and friends who live in Israel. Uh, and she was flooded with text messages uh, on Saturday morning. Uh, her parents got stuck in southern Israel where they were visiting. Uh, they, when they heard the news, they were trying to scramble back, uh, but police had blocked them. So she was worried about her own parents. Uh, she has a brother in the military who's serving in Israel. Uh, and she also had a friend who had a child at the dance festival that was attacked. A number of people were killed in that incident. So here in Metro Detroit, there are a lot of people who are anxious uh, about what's ha- what happened this weekend. You know, the situation has been tense for a long time, but it felt like in some of the coverage that we were seeing from the region over the weekend that there was a heightened state of shock. Would you say that that was true among the folks that you talked to who were who were concerned about their friends and relatives? Yes, definitely. Many were very surprised. Uh, the woman I spoke to said they were not expecting something like this. Just the magnitude of it, uh, the number of people who were killed, but their sense of security has been shattered. Um, and I think that's what uh, a lot of people were, were talking about and were surprised. Yeah. 
you know, this these issues have never been particularly easy to talk about, even at, at the distance of several thousand miles that we have. And there are there are communities in Michigan that have been strongly in support of Israel no matter what. There have been Jewish Americans who have been willing to vote in support of you know, a more humane policy toward Palestinians. There have also been Arab Americans who have a whole, a whole spectrum of opinions about the fate of Palestinians. Can you tell us a little bit about the messages that you're seeing from elected officials in Michigan? Maybe we could start with who's been lining up in support of Israel condemning Hamas. Yeah, you make a very good point. It's important to recognize that there is a diversity of thought within Jewish and within Arab American communities. Uh, so in the Jewish community, you have some who may be critical of Israel. Others are very supportive. Uh, and even in the Arab American community, there are diverse opinions on what happens in the Middle East. So we can't make assumptions about people's positions on their just on their background. And uh, in terms of the reaction from the elected officials, almost all of them were very critical of Hamas's attacks against Israel, uh, including the Democrats, uh, Senator Gary Peters, Representatives um, Haley Stevens, Sri Thanadar, and others put out strong statements condemning Hamas. Rashida Tlaib, who represents Detroit, is the only member of Congress in America of Palestinian descent. She's often outspoken um, and critical of Israel. But on Saturday, she kept quiet. She did not release any statement, whether through email or social media. So people were talking about that. Then on Sunday afternoon, she released a statement that did criticize the deaths on both sides. So she acknowledged the fact that Israelis had died. So she was recognized both of their suffering. But she also said ultimately the problem is, according to her, the occupation and, and apartheid, according to her. So there was a difference of opinion between what she's saying and some of the other Democrats. But overall, even Representative Ilan Omar, who's from Minnesota and has a history of being critical of Israel, put out a pretty strong statement condemning Hamas and their actions. So even on the progressive side, there was an acknowledgement that uh, maybe the group went too far. It's certainly the case that uh, a lot of people in in lower elected offices who don't necessarily have to confront world affairs as part of their day jobs had thoughts about this. I know you spoke with Mayor Abdullah Hamoud of Dearborn. Can you tell us what was on his mind? Yeah, I didn't speak to him directly. I did uh, read his statements. But yes, so Dearborn Mayor Abdul Hamoud put out a, a, a lengthy statement. Uh, he put out two statements, one on Instagram and one more lengthier one. So he's been outspoken and critical of Israel for years. Uh, just to give you some background, two years ago, he met President Biden at a Ford auto plant when Biden was here in town. And he gave Biden in person a, a letter that he wrote in support of Palestinians. At the time, there was another big conflict between Israel and the Palestinians. In the statement he released over the weekend, uh, he made it very clear that ultimately the problem is what he called the apartheid government of Israel and the occupation. Uh, and his city, I should add, is now 54% Arab American and has a history stretching back to half a century of pro-Palestinian activism. And as we move forward, there's also going to be anxiety in the Palestinian American communities because of the attacks on Gaza from Israel. People have loved ones there. And so just as we saw sort of the pain and anxiety in the Jewish communities and Israeli communities over the weekend, I think some of that, you may start seeing that in the Arab American communities uh, in the days and weeks to come. Neeraj, do you get the sense that 
that people of, of strong faith either expect or maybe at least invite elected leaders to speak out that they that they want to hear they want to hear more in line with with their views of the situation? Yes, uh, in times like these, there are intense lobbying taking place as people uh, want their elected officials to say certain things and act in a certain way. You know, when Governor Whitmer released two statements on Saturday, both of them drew controversy from both sides. Her first one did not criticize Hamas and did not criticize the attacks on Israelis. So that true criticism from some, even some Democrats and as well as Tudor Dixon. But then three hours later, she released another statement uh, that was more direct and unequivocally condemned the violence against Israelis. And then the other side, some are saying that they wish the Democrats would have been more stronger in supporting Palestinians. But it was striking to note that across the board, Democratic leaders uh, put out statements very strongly in support of Israel. That's the Stateside Podcast. I'm April Baer. You can find full Stateside episodes at michiganradio.org. Today's pod was produced by Rachel Ishikawa. Other producers on our show are Mike Blank, Ronia Kabensog, Mercedes Mejia, and April Van Buren. Our intern is Olivia Meradian, and our executive producer is Laura Weber-Davis. Music for the pod comes from Blue Dot Sessions and from Audio Network. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back with you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.